In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. My name is Father Matt. I'm one of the rectors here. It's November 6th, and I woke up and chose summer. Our texts today deal with the reality of the age to come, the resurrection life, eternal life, heaven. These are some of the words we use to describe this reality, and they describe the tension between the surety of the resurrection, the age to come, and living in the time when it hasn't, or has it? These are the questions these texts are asking today. The good news for us, church, is that new creation, the age to come, in that all people get to flourish. No one is exploited, passed around, or used. This is righteousness and this is love, to undo and oppose injustice today as we become ready for our future. We're going to focus on Luke's gospel where Jesus is tested by the Sadducees. And there's just three things I want to point out, three moves that will, and we'll focus on the last move the most. We're going to focus on the contest We're going to focus then, secondly, on the content of the contest, and then third, we're going to focus on the context of the content in the contest. All right. We're in a section of Luke's gospel where one story after another are these contests that Jesus has with religious leaders, chief priests, legal experts, elders. Uh, He tells parables of tenant farmers told against the legal experts and the chief priests, There's the Sadducees here, and then there's the legal experts and the Pharisees next, and then he critiques the temple, and then he pronounces judgment on the temple, and then at the end, or the beginning of 22, uh, people are like, all right, now we got to kill this dude. So we're in this heightening sense of uh, a climax of the conflict. And these conflicts were honor contests, meaning Jesus was this poor, Galilean, uneducated peasant who was disrupting the social order of his day. He wasn't wasn't acting like he should. And what happened was all the the common people were running out to him and giving him honor, but they were taking honor from the people who deserved it, the religious elites. And so Luke is really clear that what directly leads to this hatching of the plot to kill Jesus, it wasn't because he was nice. And it wasn't because he, quote, claimed to be God, although this was used as legitimation for his death. He wasn't killed because he brought enemies together. He was killed because he threatened those in power. He threatened the powers that be. He took their social power and he threatened their political religious power and they could not stand it. And so the way they tried to best Jesus, at least in these three chapters, is to embarrass him in front of the crowds. If you could embarrass Jesus by winning this riposte, then you could take back some of the honor he had got from you and then you could reclaim your status among the people. Only problem was they failed every time. 
And so what we see here in our text today is that the elite and the Sadducees were the most wealthy and powerful of the Jewish elite in Israel. They are bested by an uneducated, poor, Galilean peasant. The good news, church, is that in the new creation, in the age to come, all people get to flourish. No one is exploited, passed around, or used. This justice, this righteousness, this love is to undo and oppose injustice as we become ready for our future. The content of the contest involved a woman, right? Remember the Sadducees said, we have this, we have this quandary, Jesus. This woman has a husband and he dies, and then she marries six of his brothers, and one after another, they die. So this, this contest involves a woman who can't seem to marry a fella who wants to stay alive. <laughs> At some point, you would think like the fourth, fifth, or sixth brother would be like, oh, heck no. <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> the Sadducees were essentially asking Jesus, do you agree with Moses? The Sadducees only accepted the Pentateuch. They didn't accept the prophets because the prophets critiqued powerful, wealthy people. And that's who they were. Unfortunate scriptures for the Sadducees. And so they bring up this question of leveret marriage. The leveret, uh, is, the leveret laws in Deuteronomy it basically says if, if you're married uh, to a woman and you die, one of your brothers must marry that woman. Um, and so... We'll talk more about that law later, why it was there and what Jesus is doing with it. Uh, but essentially, they said, if you agree with Moses, then you can't believe in the resurrection because this is ridiculous. You know, she can't have seven husbands, right? And if you do that, then the Pharisees are going to hate you because they believe in the resurrection. But if you disagree with Moses, then you deny Torah and we're going to hate you and label you a dangerous teacher. So Jesus then bests them in two ways. He says the age to come is unlike this age when it comes to marriage. So your question is rubbish. And two, he says that even the Pentateuch, your scriptures, assume resurrection. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. But I want to focus not on how he bests them. I want to focus on the context that Jesus deals with, because this is where our good news comes from. The good news being that in the new creation, in the age to come, all people get to flourish. No one is exploited or passed around or used. This is justice. This is love, to live today in light of the age to come. Stephanie Buckhannon Crowder, as you all know, says, the key, the key lies not in the question asked, but in the context that produces the question. In Luke's day, the status of a woman was tied to that of a male relative. Her, her identity and social belonging were situated outside of herself and her gender. Okay, so levered marriage then. Women widows benefited from this practice. The book of Ruth is a story about a woman calling upon a kinsman redeemer 
to do your stinking job. Right? Be faithful. And, and the scandal of the book of Ruth is that she's a Moabitess. Dun, dun, dun. And she's calling upon Israel to be faithful. So it's this outsider, this despised outsider teaching Israel how to be faithful. That's the scandal of the book of Ruth. But it's trading on this understanding of leverant marriage. And in many ways, this was good. It's complicated, so hear me out. If a, if a woman was a widow, she didn't have protection. She didn't have property sometimes. And she didn't have any posterity. It was a triple P stink sandwich for her. So the practice of a brother marrying a widow would serve in some ways to provide for a powerless person in the case of tragedy and pass on the family line, okay? But Jesus' response here criticizes, criticizes the cultural institution of marriage. Isaiah, the, the title for this sermon when you post it will be, That One Time Jesus Took Down Biblical Marriage, okay? Just so everybody knows exactly what they're getting into. <clears throat> Do you notice that the Sadducees weren't really concerned about the woman here? They were using her to trap Jesus. Now, she's unnamed. Of course she was unnamed. But Jesus sees this unnamed woman, used by men to trap another man, just like she was used in patriarchal marriage systems to do things for men, and says, in the age to come, women won't be used, passed around, and exploited. So the context for the content of the contest is a takedown of how patriarchy hurts women. Do you see that? Listen again to verses 34 through 36, because Matthew also tells this story, the gospel writer, and he, the words are a bit different. And I've always, what I've done is I've taken Matthew's words and imported them onto Luke, but Luke's words are different. <clears throat> so listen up. Jesus said to them, those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. Notice the passive there. Guess who's given in marriage? Women. Guess who doesn't get to pick their spouse? Women. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Notice Jesus isn't saying in the age to come, we won't get married. He's saying those who are worthy today of the age to come don't get married. Did you catch that? Jesus isn't advocating for a marriageless heaven here. He's saying that those who are unmarried or celibate right now are children of the age to come, and in some ways already experiencing resurrection. Where patriarchy reigns and women have no agency over their bodies, celibacy can be a protest. 
a way for women to regain autonomy and agency over their bodies. Unmarried women who weren't widows could have businesses, could travel, do all kinds of things that married women and widows could not. But it, it, it ain't all tulips and roses for celibacy. <laughs> Here's how patriarchy works, okay? Celibacy went from being a protest against injustice in the present age, reclaiming bodily agency, to a tool under patriarchy to once again police the bodies of women. Celibacy can be rough too, fam. Here's how. Purity, or virginity, became the standard measure, and women who fell short or, or weren't pure or weren't virgins, excuse my crassness, became whores. And then throughout history, white male violence in the service of protecting white female purity has ravaged black communities. Countless murders and lynchings were done under the guise of protecting the honor of a white woman who a black man looked at the wrong way. This is the Christian legacy of purity culture slash celibacy. Black women became the antithesis of a white woman. So a white woman was pure, virginal, and a black woman was sexualized. So she was sexualized, which then gave license for white men to brutalize and dehumanize them. So hear what I'm saying. Jesus, in his day, is holding up celibacy here. But I want to contend, that's the fourth C word, if you're counting, for celibacy, five, sake. Jesus talks about the sons of the age to come, those who adopt the values and behaviors characteristic of that age. And one of the ways you do that now is to opt out of the patriarchal marriage system. So he's saying celibacy is a protest that gets us ready for the age to come, <clears throat> not because celibacy is better than marriage, but because the way women are treated in marriage is unjust. You tracking with me? So Jesus isn't only talking about earth and heaven. He's talking about two different kinds of politics, two different ways that the world can work. And the way that he wants is a world in which women are no longer passed around, where they no longer get used. We, what, the reason why you have to marry this brother is because we need your womb. You need to make babies. You exist to make babies. <clears throat> but that's not the logic of heaven, Jesus. <laughs> Do you see? In the logic of heaven, the age to come, women are freed from bearing children in order to pass on a family line, which was a very dangerous act, by the way. Still can be but very dangerous in the ancient Near East. Jesus here and elsewhere critiques the structures of a patriarchal household. In the resurrection, he says, women are freed from their bodies being used by men. They have agency and autonomy 
over their own bodies like a celibate woman does. The good news is that in the new creation, in the age to come, all people get to flourish. All of us. No one's exploited or passed around or used. This is righteousness. This is love to undo and oppose injustice today as we ready our bodies for the future. This is important for us today because um, even though uh, a lot of the uh, worst abuses of patriarchy, for instance, leveret marriage or other other, uh, older forms of patriarchy are no longer practiced widespread in the Western world, violence against women continues. Violence against women just finds new ways of happening. Men controlling women's bodies continues. Patriarchy still wants to colonize other people's bodies and dictate what and how and if and when and where. So let me just say a few things about our church at the table. We were talking about this this morning in DNA groups. We have all been impacted by this. Right? It manifests itself in a lot of ways. Purity culture or aspects of celibacy or singleness or what does it mean for a man and woman to be married or how does power work and who gets to decide what I do with, do I have agency over my body or not? But we're committed to being a place where the honor and dignity of your body is respected Um, let me just say, like, we had a deaf woman worshiping with us for a while, Marva, and it was a huge kairos for me that I had no idea the way that her body wasn't respected here among us. Uh, and one of the graces of her being with us for a bit was that I was confronted with my uh, ableism, my, my prejudice towards able bodies and how disabled or Differently abled bodies have to orbit around mine. I I don't have to choose that, friends. I don't have to wake up in the morning, do a devotional on able bodyism, and then once again accept that into my heart. That just lives in me. So we're committed to being a place where the honor and dignity of your body is respected. Two, we're committed to being a place where vestiges and instincts of patriarchy are named and dismantled. And I'll just say, as a dude, I need help. I can't see it. I had a friend um, a few weeks ago. We were processing, and I was like, hey, why don't you do this? And she was like, well, why is it always my job to dismantle the patriarchy? And I was like, it's a freaking good question. I don't know. Didn't even occur to me that's what I was asking you to do. But I, she was a woman, by the way. But I was like, well, you know, I can, I can imagine how exhausting that is. That's always your job to oppose the thing that I say that I hate too. We're committed to being a place where issues like this aren't relegated to activism, but rather situating them 
inside of how justice and love live now in light of the resurrection. Why? Because that's what Jesus says. Right? That's what Jesus says. And we're committed to unlearning unhelpful scripts about sex and bodies and marriage and leaning into a redeemed vision for how we do this together. I was talking to some friends this morning, and, and one of them said, you know, it's really easy to criticize purity culture, but what do we do instead? We need to figure it out. Not just for the 13-year-olds and 12-year-olds and 10-year-olds among us, but for the 60-year-olds among us. And all those in between. Because, friends, because... Today, Jesus says, we are readying ourselves for resurrection life. And new creation is a place where everybody gets to flourish. Nobody's used. Nobody is exploited. No one is passed around for another person's utility. This is what justice and righteousness and love live like today. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.